And now, it's time for the Techie U Drive at 5. Let's do this. Well, all right, all right, all right. You have found it. This is the Techie U Drive at 5. I am your host, Dan Taylor. And we are the private equity firm you're looking for. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. My God, it's been one hell of a news week. I've been away. Kate's been away. Nick was away? No. I don't know what Nick was doing. Robin was busy. Fiona held it down this week. Big shout out to Fiona. 85, 90, 96.3% of the news was brought to you by a woman whose name I consistently <laughs> mispronounce. So I'm just going to ask her right now to say her name in her own words. Very uncomfortable being put on the spot like this. But I think how you should pronounce my name is Alston. Alston. What do you mean you think? <laughs> you think. I'm well, like I said, everyone says it wrong to me that I've started wondering, am I saying it wrong? I'll have to call my mother later to confirm. I'm going to do my best to get it right in the outro. But listen, like I said, it has been one hell of a news week. Kate, start us off. Yeah. Okay. A couple of news items. First one is the launch of the Global Startup Ecosystem Report. This is one of those annual reports that, you know, come out by Startup Genome, and what they basically do is they get data points on 3.5 million startups across 290 plus global ecosystems. And so I'm not going to go through the whole report. It's a mammoth beast. We're talking over 170 pages. Really? Why not? I know. It's <laughs> it's a you you got to invest in it. But fortunately, they section it off by region which is a big plus as far as I'm concerned. So they do a bunch of things. They rank uh, cities in terms of the health of startups and the funding and the, the talents and all that sort of thing. Um, it probably doesn't surprise anyone that if you're looking at ecosystems in Europe, London's number one, followed by Berlin, Amsterdam, Paris and Stockholm. But then we get a bit more interesting. They also sort of look at emerging ecosystems. So places where there's been more um, recent investment in infrastructure, um, talent, stuff like that. And there you're looking at a few places like Copenhagen, Barcelona, Dublin, Manchester, Liverpool, and Brussels. So kind of nice. And I think the thing that I thought was most interesting, a couple of points, um, I'd like to put a shout out, I guess, to Estonia. They came number three in the Strong Starters ranking. And this is kind of a ranking of early stage funding activity. So they're basically talking about Estonia as a city being um, it's it's had an increase of forty six percent in early stage funding from twenty one to twenty two, um, an increase in in general funding rounds, but also a hundred percent increase in exits over fifty million. So these are pretty impressive stats. I'm not going to go through all of it because there's a lot of stats. But the other thing I thought was kind of interesting was, you know, we obviously talk about the um, the wins and the first one we'd think about was perhaps AI in terms of um, industries, maybe industrial industries, industry 4.0, robotics. But a couple that really came out was um, the number of VC deals from 21 to 22. Gaming has increased by 13%, blockchain 8%. Fintech, 4%. So, I mean, it's it's interesting because I think particularly a lot of us have thought gaming, blockchain, and I think the biggest kind of things we can attribute to this is increases in advancements, like advancements in hardware technology, in software, in connectivity, like internet con connectivity across different regions and areas. So, kind of interesting. I'd encourage people to have a little look. 
take a you know take a peruse maybe pick out a a part of the world you know nothing about some of the african stuff is really really interesting um also shout out to oceana my uh, my part of the world and another startup i thought i would give a little shout out to with fernride fernride's a really interesting company so we're kind of in the space of autonomous trucks but they do it a little bit differently. Firstly, they've raised a very nice 31 million in Series A this week. Secondly, their platform model is what's called um, teleoperations. Sorry. So teleoperations is basically, if you like, a remote controlled truck where someone sits behind a console at a, at a, remote, a remote desk and they can control multiple trucks at the same time. This is commonly used for um, very predictable kind of safe areas like for example they use it in yards so we're talking about places where you have um, you know moving cargo from a to b on a very large site or moving containers um, repetitively it could be a hundred times a day and when we think about this kind of teleoperations it's often seen as the step the pre-step to um, autonomous driving because currently all operators have to have some type of telepresence anyway where there's someone available if the car or the vehicle doesn't know what to do. But in, for example, in Germany, we have Vey, who is also doing remote controlled cars. And the idea there is that a car will come to you when you want to um, hail a car that you're going to hire and, and then drive yourself. There's Elmo in Estonia with a similar business model. And France, of course, has Easy Mile with the little shuttle buses. So this is somewhere that Europe has been able to progress over having the, I guess, outright autonomous vehicles on the road like we see in the US with Cruise or um, Waymo and so forth. And so I think um, what's really interesting about this is we've, we've got a, a, two sort of critical storms happening. The first one is there's a massive shortage of truck drivers in, and I won't go into the stats, they're in the article. Secondly, we've seen a lot of electric and autonomous trucking companies really fail over the last um, last year. Um, I think it's a, it's a hard, expensive business. For example, restructuring, laying off people. Um, Embark was sold to a software provider. And then Nikola. I mean, you probably remember Nikola, the company that was um, filmed for um, rolling a truck down a um, hill and pretending it was autonomous. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the way that I think I, I bring this back to um, Fernride is Fernride's kind of got in early, like before you have to deal with those big problems by saying, well, we've actually got a product. We've got something that investors and customers and employees can actually launch and grasp. And then it's it's on the road. It's active. We have customers. They have over a thousand trucks using the software. And then we can do the, the, the residual and the gradual automation as we go. I think that's a really cool business model. And I think this is the way forward for this kind of really hard long-term tech that's been really struggling to gain that kind of commercial operability. Fernride, do you know, two well, two things just occurred to me. Mm. Fernride, the word in German for television is Fernseher. Mm -hmm. And so I just realized that Fernride is a distant, right, got mm -hmm. that. And uh, I know they has been pretty outspoken about it. What they're doing with their teledriving is they're actually training the AI. Do, yeah. is, is that the case with Fernride as well? Do you know? Yeah, gradually. I mean, they will eventually have, you know, automation. Like I said, it will be that that eventual rollout. But 
I mean, until then, there's a little while to go. So they will still be doing remote until they get to that mm. point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of the, the kind of the news I'm hearing this space at the moment, we've been kind of sold this story in um, over the last 10 years that the problem is um, the legislation is too behind, hasn't caught up. Um, somewhere like Germany, we do have the legislation. It's the technology that hasn't caught up. You know, we're dealing with big, dangerous vehicles when we're talking about these big semi-trailer trucks. So, you know, you, you've got to get everything right before we get them commercially on the road, on their That's own without, um, without humans. And Germany, you do have the most beautiful highways I've ever had the opportunity to drive at over 200 and some odd kilometers an hour on but uh but it was all legal it was totally legal while i was doing it so that's that's fine and dandy speaking of things happening fast how's fintech going robin not very well (laughs) (laughs) fun times in fintech land in europe um by the way it was just it was london tech week this week did you notice that uh fintech that used to be sort of the the crown the jewel in the crown of the uk tech ecosystem for many years really didn't receive that much of a spotlight during the London Tech Week than, uh, let's say, AI or any other uh, adjacent business to that, uh, which I found very notable. But it's no surprise. I mean, let's go over a few things. Uh, First of all, venture capital firm Molten Ventures uh, has written down its holding in Revolut by 40%, um, which adds to the fintech company's recent trouble as it struggles to gain a UK banking license. Uh, Molten is, by the way, the third Revolut investor to mark down its investment in the UK fintech this year alone. Uh, meanwhile, stock trading app Free Trades cutting its pre-money valuation by around 65% ahead of a planned uh, CrowdCube uh, fundraise later this month. Uh, then we had the UK payments unicorn Go Cartless. They're cutting 17% of staff uh, in a bid to shave 15% off its cost base and, quote unquote, rediscover its scrappy startup energy. Which is one of the things, if, if you need to point that out, that's huh? it's probably too late. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So fun times in fintech land. Uh, the digital bank Zopa, also based in the UK, uh, they're rejigging their uh, leadership team, which might actually be good news, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, but Amsterdam-based cloud banking provider Mambu, uh, they've announced that the immediate departure um, of its CEO and co-founder Eugene Danilkis for, quote-unquote, personal reasons that were not specified. Uh, so, yeah. Um, fintech used to be the shit, now kind of shit. <laughs> I like the fact that you used the word rejigging. Right? Rejigging. Uh, I learned they're, from the best. They're getting rejiggy with it? <laughs> rejiggy. <laughs> <laughs> well, but uh, but London Tech Week wasn't the only thing happening. Apparently, there's this country on the other side of the channel. There's I don't know, yes. some kind of Elon is there. Or, yeah, we're a yeah. few hours away from Elon Musk speaking at Viva Tech, which I'm very happy I'm not at Viva Tech. <laughs> Um, but France, uh, they've been openly courting to become the home of Tesla's next uh, gigafactory in Europe, uh, which is one of the reasons that Musk is in Paris, of course. Um, we all know that the electric vehicle maker opened its first gigafactory in Europe in Berlin, in the Berlin area, uh, more than a year ago. Uh, but now it's uh, time for a second one. And even though Elon Musk has been meeting with the French President Macron earlier uh, today, um, while he's in town to speak at VivaTech, or maybe actually it's probably the other way around now that I think about it, uh, there's really no certainty that France will be the next uh, 
you know, place for the uh, for the Gigafactory. So earlier this week, uh, Musk met with the Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Meloni uh, as leaders in Europe attempt to woo the Tesla boss uh, into building their new car manufacturing facilities in their countries. Another contender is Valencia, where Tesla has reportedly been meeting with local officials to discuss a potential massive investment in a car factory over there. Uh, and I find it quite interesting to see these games being played out quite publicly, I should add, on such a high level, uh, but also not really a wonder given uh, that, you know, these things concern investments worth billions of euros, lots of job, it's the prestige, of course, uh, and much more than that. I'm also kind of wondering whether the UK is on the radar for any of this at all. Uh, and worth pointing out that Tesla's official headquarters in Europe are actually in the Netherlands, uh, which also doesn't seem to be a major contender for the next uh, Tesla Gigafactory. So, yes, I see uh, Nick holding up the finger. Yeah, so funnily enough, I'm, I'm I'm not sure if I'm supposed to talk about this, so I'm going to talk about it. Um, the Netherlands was a contender and lost out to Berlin. So, so that was for uh, the previous one, wasn't it? Yeah, so so maybe we've oh. dropped out of the race entirely because ah. the reason we didn't uh, manage to stack up against Berlin was uh, lack of highly skilled talent for the workforce because obviously such a, a factory requires immense amounts of people. Yeah, that's fair enough. Although I would say that the decision to pick Berlin was made, I don't know, five, six years ago. Uh, it only opened last year. So maybe maybe Netherlands caught up in the meantime. I don't know. I think it's also because um, in Berlin or Grunewald, um they can also get talent from uh, Poland very easily. All right. Well, that seems to be the news in, uh, well, what, FinTech and Elon and Gigafactors and 1.21 gigawatts, Marty. Fiona, you were a little busy this week. Yeah. We All kinds of busy. G give us the news. What happened this yeah, week? Yeah, we had so much to talk about, which I can't do because obviously um, such short space of time. But one um, round that even like we were discussing as a team they came in was a seed round in France by Mistral AI. Um, it was a hundred um, and five million. What is also interesting is not just that's a phenomenal amount of money for a seed round, um, is that the company is less than a month old. Um, and I said that it's less than like a wet week old, which literally is. It's like under a month old. Uh, Lightning Speed Ventures obviously operated at lightning speed because they led <laughs> round. Um, the three founders are all ex-Google DeepMind and Meta AI researchers. Um, apparently, they've all known each other for some time. These guys met in um, secondary school, I think it was. Um, they are Timothy LeCrew, Guillaume Lample, and Arthur Mensch. Uh, Mensch, who is the president of the company, is quoted by saying that he's glad to contribute to the emergence of a credible new player in generative AI from Europe. Um, to be honest, we've got very little else on this. Even their website has got like three lines on it or whatever. But Nick, you are here to talk about AI. Is there any chance you can tell us? Is this Europe's answer to open AI? You got any intel? I, I, I wish I did, um, but we simply don't know. We know the, the background of the three uh, founders. We know that uh, Xavier Neal, the uh, French billionaire who's known for doing quite a lot in the French ecosystem and former um, Google boss, Eric Schmidt, our investors, that has got to be a good sign. But as to what they're going to do, we really don't know. The only uh, quote I saw at the moment is that uh, Mensch wants to make AI useful. 
and that open source is a big part of their DNA. So, okay, uh, thanks. Um, so, uh, talking about French tech, there was another big story. Now, maybe you're going to think this amount isn't big, but there is something big about it. So, Wargraphs um, sells to MOBA Network. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. Um, for fifty million. Um, I think that this is an inspiring tale because this guy's a solopreneur and a bootstrapper. So I think it's really inspiring to anyone who's sitting behind their desk thinking, Jesus, I'm never getting anywhere with this. It can happen to you. Um, so uh, Wargraphs is a gaming company. I know very little about gaming, but apparently it's uh, the company behind League of Legends companion app. Professor, and correct me if I'm wrong, but apparently what that does is it tracks scores of players and like statistics and whatever. So it's like a little side something on it. Well, not so little, obviously. And um, it's the own guy by a guy called Gene Nichols. And like I said, I mean the guy's been on his pod. Um, this deal is split in two, so he's getting the 25 million up front, um, and then when he's hitting whatever targets they put out then he gets the rest. But yeah, so that's great news for France. And then would be remiss of me not to mention another deal in Ireland. Um, this is a good deal for e-commerce uh, businesses. Um, Wayflyer, I always get this wrong, Wayflyer um, renews the deadline of $300 million with JP Morgan. Um, basically, if you don't know who they are, they're an Irish company. They set up in Dublin in 2019, and they provide insights and finance for growing e-commerce businesses. So obviously, that was a good white flag that there is um, some positivity going on in that space. Well, thanks for that, Fiona. I mean, that was just a sampling of the massive output of stories you contributed this week. So yet again, thank you. What would another week without some AI be, Nick? Specifically, AI regulation. Yeah, it, uh, it's it's been an interesting week. Um, of course, the uh, I, I think the headline story was the one that uh, Fiona Shaw uh, already told us about Mistral, but uh, there has been other stuff happening with European AI. Um, and uh, Dan, as you rightly point out, the EU has gone one step further. And uh, on Wednesday, they voted to implement implement stricter proposed regulations around AI. This is obviously an ongoing story. Nothing is yet uh, set in stone, but they're uh, updating on a regular basis. And the new um, terms that they're uh, including uh, things like banning AI in biometric surveillance, which actually sounds like a very good thing to me. So I'll uh, take my uh, hat off to the EU on this one. Um, the draft is obviously non-binding until it becomes an actual law or regulation, but I got to say they are moving at light speed. The EU really wants to show the rest of the world how to, uh, how to regulate around this stuff for good or bad. But I was also really happy to hear that the, uh, EU commissioner, Margaret Verstager, um, made a comment about this existential threat of, uh, human extinction by AI saying that, uh, yes, that risk might exist, but uh, she thinks the likelihood is quite small, but wanted to point out that the risks that we are facing today, such as bias and discrimination, are also important and need to be addressed. So I'm happy they're picking up on that. Robin? Yeah, just some news that broke this morning that uh, Southeastern Asian countries have also come together to come up with, with some AI regulation drafts. Uh, so it looks like we're going to have AI regulation in place in multiple 
locations around the world sooner than later. And it will be interesting to see how they compare. I have some thoughts on that. I've been talking to some people in this subject because I was away earlier in the year on Vancouver Island for a couple of weeks, a couple of months actually, writing a book in isolation. And then the kind of second version or whatever version of ChatGBT came out and I was terrified that, you know, it was all over for, for me, maybe a lot of people on this call and in this audience. Um, and then I started to talk to some people and I think I've got a slightly different take on it. Um, there's a company in Denmark called Easy Translate, I mean, which you would think were probably the prime targets for some form of extinction themselves, as opposed to humanity. Um, and the, the guy Eric Pedersen told me, uh, Eric R. Pedersen, uh, told me that he thinks the future is definitely open AI, and he reckons it's small language models that will change the game. You start off with a large language model, you have some humans in the loop that refine it. Um, it kind of moves in an open source direction. And I'm sure, you know, there's definitely at least one person here that knows more than I do on this subject. Um, and then, you know, you have your own kind of personalized SLM or small language model that is there for your customers. And I just like to think, I, I think this guy's a bit of a visionary, but I just like to have um, some reaction to that. Do, do you think that might be a scenario? You seem to be nodding your head, brother. Yeah, we've uh, we've certainly covered a little bit of that perspective in previous podcasts. I don't know how uh, how deep we want to go into this. I'm looking at Dan. I mean, uh, Monty, I can tell you, I would very much like it to move in that direction rather than lots of you know tech monopoly capitalism going on. I had two other things uh, on AI news, and then we can uh, formally introduce Monty. Um, I picked up that Amsterdam company Framer Framer dot com is a platform for creative professionals to launch things like high-quality websites from uh, kind of like full-color wireframes to real websites in no time at all. They've been around a few years. They took a Series B in 2018 have been pretty quiet then, but I know a lot of people who love their software. Well, they just embedded AI into their uh, web-building tool, and I saw some stuff on Twitter with people putting uh, videos of them using AI to design a website and hit go live within like 65 seconds and these things are fully mobile responsive and do exactly what you would expect it is mind-blowing so uh, hats off to small uh, amsterdam company uh, there and then lastly in the news and I, I i'm putting this in with a slight tone of disgust uh, mercedes-benz is adding chat gpt to cars and uh, the uh, the way you will call chat gpt from your car is hey mercedes and then give it some sort of complex instruction and it will have a conversation back with you. I think I'm going to leave that there with just... Why do we need that, though? What a great question, Fiona. Why do we need <laughs> that? Why do we need cars? What could possibly go right? There you go now. Will this be included on the Maybach models as well? or So, so that wouldn't be, hey, Mercedes, but hey, Maybach, can you navigate me to Dubai yeah. because I need to fill up with fuel for example yes. yes all right well well that is uh the scary and interesting and fascinating world of ai thanks nick and now we can formally introduce mr monty munford joining the show this week uh i got in touch with monty earlier this week when the news came out that andreessen horowitz is uh setting foot outside the u.s they're going to establish their first international office in london uh, specifically uh, looking into crypto 
And Monty, who knows a thing or two or several more about crypto than I or anybody else here probably does. What are your thoughts, man? What is this move? Why why is this happening now? What's going on? I mean, as far as I understand, the big play is that the UK is regulatorily friendly to crypto. Is that the case? What do you think? First thing, buy Bitcoin. That's what you should do immediately. Um, okay, so this, I think, is more or less that the UK is crypto friendly. Um, I think it's more about um, the US and what they're doing and how they're going after exchanges. Um, mm. You know, I think even if, you, if you're not into crypto or blockchain, most people will know that Binance, or the FCA is after Binance, basically calling it an unregistered broker. Somewhat surprisingly, they also did the same thing with Coinbase, which is a listed company. I think it's on the NYSE, actually. Um, so, I mean, I was at Prague Bitcoin last week. Um, Prague is probably quite famous in Bitcoin because that's where the transaction for two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin, that, that original, oh, original yeah. thing. So they're branding themselves as a kind of um, crypto-friendly country. There are lots of influences there, you know. I didn't realize that orange and black were the colors of Bitcoin. So there are a lot of people in orange and black. Uh, and I, I kind of did wonder, you know, what other, um, you know, areas of life are defined by colors. And then the bloke next to me in the conference said, well, what about green? So yeah, yeah fair enough. I know what green means. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Then we went to big blue IBM and, you know, it's like, all right, fair enough. We made your point. Fair, fair, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it was quite interesting to be there um, and to see what the Czech Republic is trying to do uh, in order to brand itself. It's clearly way ahead of the UK in that respect. Um, but we have to be in the UK known for something. You know, Robin was talking about the, you know, the uh, fintech, the likes of Revolut saying they're going to move out. You know, it seems like the tech companies want to move out of the UK or, or London especially. Uh, and crypto firms want to come in. I think they've heard some very positive sounds, and I think I think uh, Andre. I can never say what's the name of that. What is the name of that? So, so it's called A One Six Z. That's the crypto arm of Andreas, whatever his name is. I suppose that's an acronym A Z, right? First letter, second, last letter. Um, so they've clearly done their due diligence and have been speaking to Rishi Sunak, who uh, said last year he wanted to be a crypto-friendly country. Um, it's all very interesting. Um, mm. I think if you want to go kind of major geopolitical, I mean, Sunak was in, um, was in Washington last week with Biden. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, little poodle, poodle UK will do what the US says, as it's always done. Uh, so I imagine if Biden said that'd be too uh, crypto friendly, then he'd probably follow with that line. But it appears that, you know, there's that, that fund that they're, that they're setting up in London uh, A16Z or Z um, is six seven point six billion dollars. You know, right. this is their fourth fund. They raised four point five million dollars in twenty twenty two. So they're no kind of new, you know newcomers or neophytes. They they know what they're doing. And, 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 and hidden within the press release was you know we have spoken to regulators, we have spoken to government. We do feel that this is going to be a crypto-friendly country. So you've got two or three things going on. You've got the flow of capital out of the US because of the regulatory situation. I mean, big, I mean, I would say that the orange and black wearing Bitcoin maximalists are probably not the ones that you want to speak to about this subject, you know, because they're all 
basically cult members. But the more realistic, the more realistic thing is, is that you can't stop. You know, you can try and stop exchanges, but there are. I mean, I really know there's an infrastructure of on-off fiat ramps. There's loads of ways that you can put money into your bank account if you if you're into crypto, and it, it can't be stopped. I mean, Biden was trying to do that with a Bitcoin tax, uh, Bitcoin mining tax. You know, they just the, the miners will just move somewhere else where it's cheaper. You know, they move to the Arctic or move to where there's HEP or move to somewhere you know like the Czech Republic or somewhere like that that's friendly. Um, yeah. But but I also would say that 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 seven point six billion is twenty percent of their entire managed assets. So it's no small number. Uh, and then, if you think about the average size of a, you know, a VC European VC fund, seven point six is probably a hundred x the size. So it does a lot of other things as well. It this, you know, it really disrupts the deal flow in Europe. This amount of money that's just suddenly been plopped on the table. I mean, Robin sent me a piece in the Financial Times today. The Financial Times despises everything crypto, so you have to take what they say with a pinch of salt. But their kind of take on it was, you know, what else is, you know, A16Z going to do? You know, are they mm. going to give money back to the investors? Are they going to take the money out of crypto? Or they think, blimey, this is the only, we, we need to do something with this money. Um, and, you know, no disrespect to AI, we don't want to put it into AI, you know, yet. Or whether the two meet, because the two could easily meet. So, so I think it's a very, very good thing um, for London, yeah. especially after recent bad news. Um, yeah. It also did re it kind of separates us from the EU because of the horror of Brexit. This might be something else, but you know um, that's my take. What I gathered as well from the uh, announcement was uh, Andreessen. They they also want to get involved with uh, universities. They're going to be starting uh, or launching an accelerator here as well. So uh, yeah, I mean it, it it's it's not just a big chunk of money, but it, it could be uh, helping to you know mold the minds of uh, the next generation, right? And and really getting them involved from the get-go. And as you were saying, you, you can go elsewhere. You were talking about Prague. Let's not forget about Hong Kong in all yeah. of this as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Crypto is illegal in China, or it's not permitted, but yet Hong Kong seems to be quickly becoming the Asian hub of crypto. Who knew? So, yeah, who... <laughs> <laughs> Special Administrative Region 2046. That's all I got to say about that. Can I point something out because I'm just that kind of person? A A16Z is not an acronym. It's a numeronym. Oh, good. Which means it's the, it's the first and last letter of the firm, which is Andreessen Horowitz, oh. and the character count in between. That's why it's A16Z. Oh, so the 16 wow. is, is the... Hang on. Number of characters between the first and the last letter of the name. What, between A and Z? Andreessen Horowitz, which is the actual name of the firm. Oh, I see. But Andreessen would, Horowitz if, being 18 letters long. Yeah, and if it was, it would be 25 otherwise, right? Oh, I, Correct. I didn't, no, 24. 24, sorry. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> Today I learned. My God, this show is running long. It, it has been a lot of news to pack in. I've just got one last thing. Uh, Pirate Summit, we all know it. We all love it. It's the last burn this year. I spoke to Manuel Coleman, the founder, uh, about why it's time to scuttle the ship. Head on over to TechEU to find out why. It's also, and if I do say so, it's jam-packed full of amazing photos 
that I happened to document over the course of seven years with the Pirate Summit. And I will also say that when you attend the Pirate Summit this year, Mr. Nick Stevens will be hosting, moderating on stage. What are you doing there, Nick? Yeah, minor detail. I'm, I'll, I'll be doing some work on one of the stages. But what I'm more curious about is, will Monty be there? Will our presences finally collide in three dimensions? Now, listen, I'm always open to offers, bar mitzvahs and weddings. I'm a great moderator. I've, 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 I've done so at 200 global events. I've interviewed Kim Kardashian, Steve Wozniak twice. So Tim Berners-Lee, Ghostface Killer, and many more. Tim, uh, John McAfee. I'm still waiting to hear about those John McAfee on the yacht stories. But we'll save that for another time. Uh, maybe Robin, two weeks time in Cologne. Uh, maybe, maybe. Robin, you've always got one more thing, and it looks like a big thing that kind of went quiet this week. But uh, we're talking, what, $2 billion quiet. Yeah flew under the radar quite a bit, and I'll, I'll keep it very short, but there's this group called the Embracer Group, uh, which is a Sweden-based uh, gaming giant. Uh, they've literally been gobbling up game studios and IP like Tomb Raider, Lord of the Rings uh, over the past few years. So really big company. Uh, they've announced that they're closing a couple of studios, canceling several games, and all of that is a result of apparently a deal worth $2 billion in income that unexpectedly fell through. Uh, and that's, of course, uh, incredibly difficult to recover from. Uh, and it's a direct result for the massive restructuring that they're undergoing. Uh, but boy, would I love to learn where that $2 billion were supposed to come from and what actually went down there. That's a story I'd love to read. Mm. And, and how on earth were they counting so hard on one single income stream of $2 billion? Yeah, exactly. And also the keyword here is unexpected, which means a lot of things in different contexts. But Jesus... How, how does it even come to that? Surprise. All right. And what would a drive at five be? <sighs> Robin, go ahead. You know you want it. Oh, I so want it. So, guys, why did the Scarecrow win an award? Go on. He's outstanding what? in his field. Correct. <laughs> I did not pre-rehearse that. I did not know that one. Honestly, you got another one? I came home last night and I found two young people copulating in my wardrobe. I said, what the hell are you doing? And they said, Narnia business. And on that bombshell, that is all the time we have for this week. As always, my name is Dan Taylor. I've been joined by Fiona Alston on lead guitar, Kate Lawrence on drums, Nick Stevens on accordion, Monty Munford on blues harmonica, and Robins Underwater on bass. Have a great weekend, folks. We are out of here. Uh, is my mic is my mic good? <laughs> no, it's not. Your mic's not on. It is on. No, it was probably something in the settings. Okay.